This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back in the year 2002, Buck Showalter purchased all 249 episodes of The Andy Griffith Show on 20 separate DVDs. Why is this more than just a fun fact? We will explore that on the podcast today, why there is so much Sheriff Andy Taylor in William Nathaniel Showalter, where all that came from, and why it still defines him. How's that for a hook? Yesterday, I tried to reel you guys in with references from really old Bill Murray movies. We are taking it up a notch today. Wait, let me me see if I can do the whistle. Nope. Ah, all right, well, here's the song. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. It's the Andy Griffith Show, starring... Yeah, sorry, me, not not Andy Griffith, who was once a school teacher at Goldsboro High School in North Carolina, which was attended by former big league manager Jerry Naren, who was the manager of the Texas Rangers just before Buck Showalter took over. See how life's a great big circle? The three degrees of Andy Griffith. You are nothing, Kevin Bacon. Nothing. Josh Lewin with you, and Buck Showalter did not grow up in Mayberry RFD. He did grow up in Century, Florida, a town of about 2,000, he says, is a lot like Mayberry. Buck's own dad was a high school teacher and principal when Buck himself was in high school. His dad would drive him the 60 miles over to Pensacola so he could play in a better caliber league of baseball. Buck's dad, a former pro athlete himself, was on the roster one summer and fall for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Terry Bradshaw's rookie year. Never played it down in the NFL, but still pretty cool. Uh, we're going to get some Buck Showalter insight today. Not insight from Buck Showalter, but insight about Buck Showalter by talking to Buck Showalter. The Mets had no game yesterday, so I thought kind of a good day just to take a break from reporting actual news items because there really weren't any. I uh, just kind of let you get under the hood of the skipper a little bit. We'll have an interview as well with one of the Mets' bullpen hopefuls who looked really, really good against the Astros the other night. That's the former Chicago Cub, 27-year-old Rob Zestrisny. You can pull a muscle just trying to say that, but you'll meet him as we make the rounds of Mets spring training here in Bucolic, Port St. Lucie, Florida. Bucolic means near the Winn-Dixie supermarket. Um, So we, uh, we saw DeGrom and Scherzer both pitch, and I know it's early, But seven innings of one run ball, one walk, ten strikeouts, that's just fine. How much are the Mets going to be able to trust all that to keep on going this year when it counts? We know on paper, DeGrom and Scherzer are the best one-two punch since at least Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander three or four years ago with one team. Uh, These guys rank one-two, DeGrom and Scherzer, in pitching 
wins above replacement the last five years. They're both at 29, and that's six wins ahead of anybody else. So very glad they're around. Buck Showalter certainly would echo that, but we're not talking pitching with him. We're talking just about Buck Showalter himself. And we're going to walk into his office, pull up a chair, and have a little chat with the Andy Griffith devotee, Buck Showalter. Buck, I'm looking around, and the first thing I noticed about when you came out on the field was your number 11. And I'm used to use number 26, which you wore for Johnny Oates, I remember, and in his honor. Tell me about that. First of all, let's go to 11. Why did you grab 11? Because uh, I didn't have to take a player's jersey. Okay. I would never do that. It's, uh, it's about the players. It's their game. And that means I wear 117. I'll take it. I don't care. It, uh, but 11 was available, and it's something I've worn in the past. But I wouldn't. If someone here had it on, uh, they could have kept it. And it's very slimming too, right? I mean, it's... well, they say that, but I think in my case, uh, it doesn't really matter anymore. <laughs> We're wearing pinstripes; those are slimming too. Uh, 26 for Johnny Oates. I know Johnny meant a lot to you. Can you tell us why? Uh, John was that. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that really got me. But he was also uh, as good a manager that I've been around. He had great people skills. He had a certain toughness to him, though, and uh, very competitive. Uh, we won a Southern League championship together. I was a player, and uh, he talked me into not starting coaching yet that year uh, because, well, selfishly, he was surround, trying to surround himself with, uh, I don't know, winning players in his, his words, and uh, I guess he thought of me that way. So it was a highlight winning that championship there. You know, so it's all relevant, whether it's a high school state championship, a New York Penn League, hmm. uh, whether it's uh, Tiddly Winks. You know, it's all relevant. I tell fans that all the time. We all had a moment athletically in our career that we remember. You know, and in your playing career, for those that don't have access to Google or whatever right now, if they want to look it up, they'll find a guy who was basically Wade Boggs in terms of walks to strikeouts ratio. I'm not saying you were hitting 330 and 380 every year, but yeah, you certainly did beyond that in college. The, the walks to strikeout thing, emblematic of your approach, is that something you still to this day look for in in a player? Uh, you know, it, the games obviously uh, have some different values, so to speak doesn't mean you can't you know you don't want to confuse change with a lack of respect for tradition hmm. and uh, I think you have to be you know careful to walk that line uh, but you know we're going to embrace every way that we can be as good as we can here but um, it was the way I was brought up you know strikeout was a failure hmm. you know when you dragged your bat back to the dugout you were embarrassed and we've you know I got to tell you I almost I missed that a little bit that shame of a strikeout <laughs> right right but you know, it's not their fault. It really isn't, Josh. Yeah. We're, we're the ones that are embracing it and giving them raises and pay, <laughs> you know, for striking out 170 times. So don't blame them. You were talking about how you were brought up, Buck, and I'd love to get there with you because uh, the way you've always talked so lovingly about your dad uh, growing up as the son of a high school principal you did and, and somebody who obviously had law and order and attention to detail in mind, but it sounded like it was always tinged with empathy and kindness. Is that about right? Yeah, and love. You know, it's, you know, We're all at the mercies of the mothers and fathers of this world, Josh. By the time we get them at this level, you know, it's... You can tell who's had, uh, and doesn't mean you had two parents. Doesn't mean that you grew up in affluent. They come in all shapes and sizes yeah. and all backgrounds, and you know, you know. You're, so you know, I was fortunate, you know, that uh, I had mom and dad want to know where I was after school and what I was yeah. doing, and you know, they uh, 
and there were times when I didn't particularly like them. Okay, <laughs> so it's it, so it's okay. And I've told my kids this. I, you know, they they left the, the train station about thirteen, and I got real smart when they were about nineteen. Right, I wasn't on. very smart for about five years. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just saying this to uh, to our audience about your love of the Andy Griffith Show. Something that, that you and I share in common, but I, I've always wondered that that you know the way you just described your upbringing and what is important. Oh, it was Mayberry, right? Was I mean, yeah, we had one surf station. You knew the only barber in town, and I graduated forty or fifty people. And but you, oh, you know, people in New York, I used to tell them, I said I had an, an advantage because. You couldn't blow anybody off or, or treat somebody poorly because right. your mother would hear about it in fifteen <laughs> right, minutes, right. and you were probably in church with them or at the grocery store, or so at the Piggly Wiggly, and you know you just you treated people like you'd like to be treated, and uh, along the way, you know the golden rule works still works pretty good. And I don't mean to get all Doctor Phil on you here, but <laughs> is there? A, it seems like there's a parallel. I mean, there, is it possible that you kind of fell in love with the Andy Griffith show and who Andy Griffith was? Because that was kind of your well, dad. I, I, I tell you where it started was, uh, yeah, Andy was my dad. You don't know. So it started that I was afraid that I would. We started the VCR era. And I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to leave the room and let our children watch anything they wanted to because there was... So we plug in that tape, and I knew I was safe with Andy in the, right. in the VCR. I, I recorded all of them. Did you ever get a chance to meet Andy uh, Griffith? No, but Opie. Uh, I got Howard, play. yeah. He was a big Yankee fan. Well, just a New York baseball fan. And one Sunday after a game, or it was before a game, I think, he came in and brought his three or four little red-haired kids with him. <laughs> right. And it looked like uh, four walking opies. I ain't kidding you. I was like, and he had no idea who he was speaking to as far as my background with him. And it was like, wow, I have really made it. Yeah. So, you know, when you get out there on the field, one thing I've always admired about you, Buck, is, uh, and I've, I know there's an old Norse saying about never let your face show what your mind is thinking, I think is, is what it is. And whatever's going on in your head, we can't see it in your body language. We can't see it on your face. Are you conscious of that? Are you tamping things down, or is that just a natural thing for you? Well, I, you know, I just, you know, the the presentation of panic doesn't play well in a clubhouse. Right. I don't know. It's, you know, most of the time it's about the what ifs. I mean, if you are opening a game up and you don't know who your pitcher is if the guy gets hit with the first pitch line drive, you know, you're on to the what ifs. You bring somebody in, you're on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And you you can't get caught with your, you know, uh, you know, ready, not ready for things that may, when the game gets off script and the teleprompter breaks, that's when you make your, your hay. And, you know, I, I, I like where we are when the, when the teleprompter breaks. I love that you have the TV uh, comparison there. Did you enjoy your time doing what you did for ESPN? Uh, live TV uh, uh, cramped your style of describing something like you can describe it. Not as colorfully, probably. Uh, you know, it's just you have to you know you have to walk on eggshells and rightfully so. So um, I don't miss them trying to put makeup on me. I can tell you that. So uh, even though. And I was able to dodge that bullet. So you know, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> but it was uh, it was fun. I had some really good people at MLB mm-hmm. and uh, ESPN, and some with the Yes Network uh, time. That was they treated me well. Yeah, and made me feel welcome. So uh, real quick, Buck. You know, you and I got to know each other a bit back with the Texas Rangers, and I, I didn't realize that you would. Uh, Basically, just stay put, drop anchor in yeah. Dallas. Tell me why that was. Uh, you know, I promised my kids when I went to Texas with the Rangers that uh, my daughter could go to college 
Uh, she was going to, she had already committed to SMU. She ended up going to law school there also. So, and my son uh, went to high school for four years there. I didn't want to disrupt them. We, and then he went to TCU after that. So we'd done enough of disrupting their lives, and they'd gotten to a point where we, I, we felt like they needed some stability. The airport was you know, a direct flight anywhere in the country. And, you know, we just put down some semi-routes there, and, and we've always bought where we've gone. And my wife is all set up in, uh, in uh, Long Island for our arrival. And, you know, it's about committing to the, you know, the community and the city. And I didn't want to live over in, you know, Jersey and whatever. I want to live in Met territory. Right on. Hey, uh, I want to give you just an opportunity here to humble brag about your daughter for a second, and your son, by the way. But uh, tell me what Allie's doing exactly. She's, uh, well, I, I got to see her, this little girl I used to ride home with me on Sunday afternoon game. She did, uh, uh, she's a lawyer in town now with Mercedes-Benz, but she was with one of the top law firms. I've seen her in action in the courtroom. That little syrupy uh, uh, bell doesn't play too much. She's tough. She should have, could have been the first female general manager. She knows the rules better than I do. She'll call me and critique everything. You know, if you'd waited on that waiver wire, this and whatever. <laughs> she knows it. She's watching. She's listening. And what about your son? Nathan's in uh, outside Annapolis. Um, we got a William Nathaniel the fifth, and uh, he's glad that pressure's off of him. Yeah, but uh, he's doing well there with his wife. Uh, uh, she's a chief uh, financial officer at uh, one of the top country clubs there in Maryland, and they're doing well. Who still calls you Nat? By the way, uh, people from the dugout from home, uh-huh. and uh, or from uh, college. You know, I had uh, I signed two. I had. Signed two contracts when I signed with the Yankees. When I was drafted, one with uh, the Yankees, and one with my parents said I would go back and finish my degree, which I did, and uh, that was tough. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I hear Nat, it's either Mississippi State or hometown. So, last one for you, Buck, because there's a segment of our audience that will always think first of you as an Arizona Diamondbacks manager because you would come in and, and manage against the Mets. And, you know, I've seen so many different angles of the Todd Pratt home run, not something I'm sure you want to relive necessarily to, to end the 2000 season. But uh, I'm curious, wh- when Steve Finley went back, uh, you know, there's a million angles and thoughts that he's going to catch that ball. What was your angle, and could you believe that series was over just like that? Oh, sure. It's a heartless game. Well, late in the game. It's unbelievable. We got these great forces working, and you realize how the baseball gods. I know in Baltimore, fourteen, we had it really going on, but Kansas City, mm. we started playing them, and they're hitting bags with ground balls. I mean, every crazy thing that could happen, a ball to hit a rubber and go foul, right. and you just sometimes realize that uh, it just wasn't meant to be. So, uh, Steve was so good. You know, he might have been as good a center fielder I've ever had. Most fundamental sound guy I've ever had. Uh, in center field, but uh, you just expect him to catch everything. Uh, we had a different middle name for Pratt uh, <laughs> over the years. He sure went with Bucky Dent. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Understood. Buck, thank you, brother. Okay, thanks, Josh. I appreciate Buck spending time with us for sure. We will try to do a sit-down like that with him every so often this year just to let you hear a bit about what makes him tick. Love that he, he took the time to do that yesterday. So one of the guys trying to make Buck's bullpen was really impressive Tuesday night against Houston. He struck out the side in the ninth, really before we could even learn to spell or say his last name. Rob Zestrisny is a Canadian by birth 
a Texan by trade, former Cub, interesting candidate, definitely in the mix to give the Mets that lefty they need in the bullpen now that Aaron Loop is an angel and Jerry Blevins is retired and doing podcasts, very good podcasts, by the way. So could the Z-Man be an X-Factor? Sat down with Rob Zestrisny and thought you'd like to hear about his epic journey, not only as a ball player, but as a Canadian-turned-Texan. Yeah, um, both my parents were born and raised there in Edmonton, Alberta. And then when they had me and my brother, uh, he's two years older than I am, they just decided they wanted to change the scenery, so they moved us down to Corpus Christi. But uh, I took Canadian homeschooling until I was in sixth grade. Okay. And so I learned all about Canadian history, uh, geography, culture, everything like that. And uh, then I got to regular Texan middle school. Okay. And uh, had to learn all new <laughs> culture, all new geography and everything like that. But yeah, it kind of kept me tied to Canada for a lot longer. And uh, then I ended up playing for T. Team Canada in uh, the Premier 12, which was in Japan and Korea. Wow. So that was uh, right before the 2020 season. So I want to go back a little bit. I, I know that if you grow up in Edmonton, even for eight months, uh, Wayne Gretzky is a demigod. Mm-hmm. How crazy is it that you get to work with a Gretzky in baseball not too far after that? That was that, that, that was pretty cool because uh, obviously I grew up knowing who Wayne Gretzky was. I grew up an Oilers fan, and my, my parents made sure I watched enough hockey. And uh, So when I met Trevor, it was like, hey, man, like, we're teammates now, and that, that was it. There was no, like, not, not, not that I wasn't starstruck or anything like that, but uh, the only time I've ever seen my parents speechless was really? when uh, <laughs> we went up to Vancouver. My, my parents came, and uh, Wayne was, was there, and he walked into the stadium, and the whole crowd recognized him, stood up, gave him a standing O. Like, the, the game paused for about 30 seconds as, as he took his seat. That's amazing. And uh, I remember after that game, my parents got to talk to him, and they were, they were a little blown away. They, they couldn't believe that they were sitting in the same stadium as them. Kind of uh, some serendipity, blue and orange, you get to wear that now, I mean, being a, a big Oilers guy. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I grew up with being a blue and orange fan, so it just makes sense that I'm here now. But yeah, yeah I came with, with the Cubs, so I had all my blue cleats and stuff from them, and I saved them, and I was Perfect. like, I'm going to... I'm going to save my cleats just in case. And then uh, it's been too long, so I ended up throwing them out. But I got all new blue and white cleats. So uh, okay. I'm familiar with, with the color for Oilers and the Cubs. Your other travels in baseball, you've been with a, you know, a couple other organizations. Tell me about that, what it's like to go from, from place to place. You, you don't grow up thinking I'm going to be a baseball vagabond, I'm sure. But that's just how this business is, right? Yeah, so I, I, I got to do six, six and a half years with the Cubs, and it's one of those things where when, when you get drafted by a team, you're like, I'm going to be here forever or whatever, yeah. and uh, I got DFA'd, and then I, I ended up going to the Dodgers after that, but um, as much as I wanted to stay in one place or be comfortable, it's kind of been nice to bounce around because then you get to meet hundreds and hundreds of ball players, hundreds of coaches, and get to take from each organization, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to do that, and it's kind of uh, everything I do as a baseball player now is from all those other organizations. The, the Cubs taught me how to be a professional, how to be a like a professional baseball player, and then the Dodgers taught me how to use analytics, and the Orioles taught me a changeup, and the Marlins taught me a slider. And I love that. Now I'm here. So, so is there anything yet that you have in your golf bag that's a club that's uniquely Mets, or is that still kind of in progress? Here, they're, they're just teaching me how to use everything the correct amount. So okay. I, I developed a really good cha- change up with the Orioles. and I think last year I threw it about 12% of the time. And so my, my first meeting with the Mets when I was signing here, they were like, hey, like we have an idea with what how we want you to use your arsenal and they they broke it down for me pitch by pitch and they're like Mm. this is what we think you'd be most efficient as and 
it's worked so far, and I've really enjoyed work, work, working with them on how to, you know, correctly use my arsenal of pitches. Does your mind normally work like that? Like when you were a kid, were you interested in taking apart a watch and seeing the insides? And uh, now that, again, you know, with analytics and everything else, you get to really kind of get into the weeds on that stuff. Has that always been a, a kind of a default setting for you? It, it hasn't, unless I'm really, really interested in what I'm doing. So, okay. like, golf... Um, baseball, th- th- things like that. All the things that I love doing. You'll break down your swing in yeah, golf because you it, want to. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, you, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to you know, see a car and be like, hey, I want to break that down and okay. know how it works. But uh, yeah, the things I'm interested in, it, it's been really fun the last couple of years with baseball because when analytics first got in, like kind of introduced to the game, I was like, you know, like I'm going to focus on being a gamer. Like I played with John Lester, guys like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're going to go out there and they're, they're going to do their thing and they're going to do it really well. And then you see guys like Trevor Bauer that start to use it. I know Shane Bieber uses mm-hmm. it, and you see it work for people, and it's like maybe if I'm not using this, I'm falling behind, and that, that's kind of what I felt. So um, I dove in as much as I could, and I really enjoyed the process because it's it's almost like a math equation. Yeah, exactly. This is your best pitch. If you use it this many times in the correct situation, you're going to have more success. Last one for you. I could talk pitching with you all day, but I'm just so fascinated about – how often you get your last name destroyed? Uh, PA guys across baseball. What's the worst you've ever had? Uh, the worst I ever had was, was a high school game. I'll, I'll never forget this one. I think I was a junior, and uh, we're in at San Antonio Reagan, and we were playing. And uh, he was like now batting the first baseman, number ten, Rob. And there was a pause, and he said Zaskinski or something. And you know, I, I've never cared. Like guy, guys here, like, hey man, how do we say your last name? I'm like, you don't have to. Just tap out. But for some reason, in high school, the parents were like, no, that's not it. So I saw one of the parents march up to the press box and like break it down for the, the PA guy. Well, he's, a, he's a high school PA guy. He's probably right, there as a break, volunteer. Right. Like he's, he's not getting paid for this. One. Maybe he is, but. Uh, my second at bat, he says it again, says it wrong, and same parent walks up there and is like, hey, like, break whatever. So my third at bat, he goes, now batting number 10, Rob Smith. <laughs> and he just shut it down. He's like, I'm not going to try that anymore. So we all had a good laugh at that. I stepped out of the box, like, tip my hat to him. Like, yeah, he's like, I get it. It's tough. Have you met Mark Ribchinski and have you talked about this issue? No, I, I haven't met him yet, but probably 50 different teammates have been like, hey, I played with Sipchinski or Rupchinski last year. It's, it's like your name. He's like, yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, he, he's been around and I've been around now a little bit. So, yeah, I've had a lot of pe- people bring that up. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rob Zestrisny last year pitched mostly at AAA in the Marlins organization, 3.56 ERA. Hasn't been in the big league since 2018, but he's healthy now. I think you'll agree he's easy to root for as well. So that is our show. The Mets tonight, if the weather holds, will play a six o'clock home game with Carlos Carrasco, Chris Bassett, both supposedly in the mix to throw. Those are your three and four starters behind the stud muffins we mentioned off the top to Grom and Scherzer. A very studly Mets in the morning house band, might I say. Let's meet him on keyboards. Jose Valentin slapping the bass is Chuck Carr. The horn section, Pete Hornish. 
And on the drums, Frank Catalanato, Long Island's very own Go Hofstra. This is Josh Lewin. Appreciate you taking the time. We'll talk to you again real soon. Take care.